Hello and welcome to episode 132 of The Winning Agenda. My name's Jesse Marshall and joining me tonight, as always, is my overlord and sidekick, the lovable Byroid, Wilfred A. Horrig. How are you, Wilfie? Yes, great, actually. We're here to do some, continue our spoiler season, as usual. Um, although spoiler season seems to be a bit disjointed with real-life times. Yeah, so this pack's been out for a little while now, Blood and Water, but we're, we're getting through it. Uh, this is the second half of this, and then next week we'll be kicking off with Free Mars, and then who knows, once we're done with that, we'll probably have the next pack ready to go. Yeah. Um, but this one actually begins with two of your brethren. There, We've got two Byroids first up on the corpse side here. Shall we kick straight off? Sure, of course. Okay, so the first one is War Road Tracker. Uh, it's... Possibly a, a replacement of sorts for Ash, but anyway, we'll get into that. It's a 2 to res, 4 to trash upgrade, Byroid, Hus Byroid, 2 influence. Whenever the runner trashes one or more cards in or protecting this server, including Warroad Tracker, trace 4. If successful, the runner must trash 2 of his or her installed cards. So that's a pretty big penalty. Start off with that, I guess, with the, the payoff for the card. The, the runner trashing 2 of their installed cards, even though they get to choose, is usually... Like, they install cards because they want them, so it's a pretty big benefit for the Corp. Um, yeah, but the... the yep. Yeah, the, the rest of Trash is pretty good um, on this card itself, but the the downside, of course, is that you have to be winning a Trace 4. So for me, this card's playability will depend very much on how Corp and Runner economies are balanced, but also on how much... Uh, how many must-trash cards the Corp has. Mm, I'm not so sure about if that's the most relevant aspect of the card. To me, what seems important is that, one, you can, unlike Ash, like you made the comparison to Ash, so I'll say that unlike Ash, you can stack Warroid trackers, so you can res yeah. multiple copies, but it sort of works a bit weirdly because you need to res this, so it's very rare that you'll be able to, say make the runner access a card that they have to trash, triggering Warroid Tracker, and then make them access the Warroid Tracker again, triggering it again, unless you have multiple copies of Warroid Tracker. So it doesn't. it's not like you can really get them with it just because of the way the timing windows work. As in, before they make the decision to trash, the Warroid Tracker has to be, tracker has to be rezzed. Yes, so that it's not like you yep. can... It's not like the Psychic Field Prysec, where they can both be unrezzed and the runner has hmm. to guess... It's they'll know which one's the war raid tracker, so your war raid tracker will probably trigger the minimum number of times. True. Um, but disregarding that, I think this has a couple of interesting benefits. The first is that it you, you can use it also when ice in the server is going to be trashed, which is not immediately obvious just because it works a bit differently to other cards, other defensive upgrades have in the past. But the yep. fact that it doesn't protect agendas really in the server like it does to some extent because you can have a warrior tracker and an ash and then if your ash can be can successfully keep them out then they take some penalty to trash it um and the well, warrior tracker. tracker and a red herrings or something like that yeah so something like that but then again it's sort of like i feel like runners at the moment have pretty good ways of pressuring centrals and this is most definitely like most defensive upgrades usually best on a remote so feels to me like if you're spending a lot of your resources trying to set up that very dangerous re remote then 
yeah, you can get ahead of them on money, but it's really hard to both keep ahead of them on money and also force them into a situation where they have to run your remote just because of how many directions good runner decks pull you in, pull the corp in, in terms of having to defend different servers at different times. Mm. Um, it's interesting that this does actually work on R&D when keyholes used to trash a card that's in the in the FAQ, which is kind of good, I guess. So it gives it some ability to interact with your central servers. Um, uh, yeah, that's true. So it's sort of like Chris Ingrid in that respect. Yeah. I'm curious about... I'm not sure this is in the FAQ, but I'm curious about whether it would trigger if the runner trashes a trashable card in your R&D. Oh, I see what you mean. In or protecting the server? Yeah, because it doesn't say installed in or protecting. It just says in or protecting. Oh, I see. Um, I wouldn't imagine... I'm not sure, actually. But yeah, that actually that is interesting just because that's a way that you can potentially get... If, if it works like that, that's a yeah. way that you can potentially get multiple Warroid tra- tracker triggers off the same run. Yeah. Because they'll usually I actually access... I think it does. Yeah. I think it works on HQ and R&D like that because in the FAQ it refers to slums. Although I guess that could mean if you slum something on a remote. I don't know. We'll see. I think we'll have to clarify that. Anyway, Sorry, there is an... You were saying yeah. about... Yeah, you could have more than one trigger on each on a run. Yeah, because the usually... In the situation, even when they res the Warroid tracker, you usually want to access the unknown cards first, just in case you need to pay money for something. So that's mm. the situation. If you're accessing one or more cards from R&D, that's a situation where you might get multiple triggers. And the potential to get multiple triggers, I think, is the main thing that makes... is, I think, the main point that would make this card good, just because that lets you really overload the runner's economy. Mm. Because if you get two triggers and they're going to trash this, yeah, exactly. Then it's much more, at least. much yeah. more likely that one of them will hit. Yeah, awesome. Uh, so a really interesting card, and I really like this because I think it's a a really different design for a defensive upgrade. It makes the corp work a little bit, but it has a pretty powerful payoff. I like that. Uh, the next card is a unique HB ice. It's called Loki. It's a Bioroid. It's unique, and it's five influence. So it's one of the final stage bioroids. When the runner encounters Loki, choose another piece of uh, another res piece of ice until end of turn until the end of the run. Oh god, I'm gonna start again. When the runner encounters Loki, choose another res piece of ice until the end of the run. Loki gains the subtypes of that ice and the subroutines of that ice before all Loki's other subroutines. And its one subroutine is end the run unless the runner shuffles his or her grip into the stack. So it's sort of like a big mother goddess in that mm-hmm. it gains the subroutines as well. Or maybe it's the reverse Mother Goddess, actually, because you want to have other ice rezzed rather than having no other ice rezzed. True. So, the way... But the fact Works that... Works particularly well with Mother Goddess. <laughs> ah, yes, that's true, because, yeah, it lets you basically have two mythics, right? Yeah. Um, but in terms of the regular ability, I think, which is to sort of do the Ravana-esque thing of just copying an ice... Um, the fact that it doesn't gain the strength of that ice makes it a bit less strong just because 6 for 3 is a pretty average rate unless 
you can consistently copy ice with many subroutines. Mm, but, but the fact that yeah. it doesn't gain the buy road ability is also good. Ah, that's true. That's very relevant as well. Um, that that is interesting actually. That's a buy road that can never be clicked through. I suppose the, it's like all the other final stage buy roads, right? Hmm. Yeah, but I think being able to gain the you know Itchy's three subroutines either one or two and not be able to be clicked through is okay. Uh, but like you said, most uh, century breakers will be able to deal reasonably easily with a strength three century. Yeah, so I'm sort of thinking, what sort of situations can you really ambush the runner with it? And not that many, just because Fairchild three, Fairchild three, yeah, for that. because they're fairly unlikely. Like they're okay to run without a code gate breaker. Mm. If they're ex- expecting that they might hit Fairchild 3, and so this is an, another way to sort of play with that. Um, yeah, I don't mind it, it as your fourth Fairchild 3. Yeah, I think, like, it definitely has a lot of potential in that there are lots of situations in which I can see it being fairly good. So I think if you can build your deck so that, like, with Byroids or with Ice, that has non-traditional ice types or something like that if you can build your deck so that the raw inefficiency of it isn't such a big deal then i could see it being strong and i haven't looked through the ice card pool with this card in mind in enough depth but i'd imagine that there might be another ice that has an ability other than its subroutines that's designed to keep its subroutines in check if you know what i mean ah something like steal the subroutine isolated may be good Right, but those, I also think a lot of cards like that are sort of balanced by having high strength and a sub, an encountered ability that lets you disregard the strength. Mm. So having low strength already sort of negates that, but I'm sure there's something there. Yeah, a really interesting card, I think, as well. Uh, enjoying the corp cards so far in this pack, definitely. Mm. Uh, now we're moving on to a faction that you perhaps like a little bit less than the previous one. It's a Jinteki card. This a is ridiculous. <laughs> I don't know where this idea came from. They just only like one faction. Aren't they your arch rivals? Isn't that the story? <laughs> uh, okay, okay. As, as a Husbyroid employee, how can you possibly like Jinteki? Anyway, we'll come back to that. It's a 5 for 3 agenda ambush. So another Jinteki 5 for 3 that's uh, promising. And it's an ambush agenda. Ooh. As an additional cost to steal Obokata Protocol, the runner must suffer 4 net damage. It's got very cool art and a very powerful ability. Um, 4 net damage is nothing to sneeze at. Of course, the runner gets to choose whether to pay the cost or not. So you're rarely going to kill a runner with this. But of course, 3 agenda points that the runner can't steal is also a good way to kill the runner in the sense that you can win the game by scoring it. Um, so is, uh, comparing this with a lot of other Jinteki cards, even things as basic as personal evolution, uh, but moving up to things like Ben Musashi, uh, which adds another two net damage to the cost to steal this when it's in the same server, um, or other net damage threats, in, including Bioethics Association, it seems like this the raw power level of this and the fact that it has a similar punishment mechanism to a lot of other Jinteki cards that use net damage uh, means that this could be pretty powerful. What are your thoughts? Yeah, exactly. The way I think about it is how difficult is it to get the runner into a situation where they can access this but can't steal it? Of course, that's the same as for all other defensive abilities like this 
in that you want to maximize the number of times that they are effective. But this is, as you said, especially relevant just because of how well it synergizes with Jinteki's other threats. So I find it very interesting that paired with, it doesn't take that much to be able to score this through a remote. Like I think even Obakata Protocol, Ben Musashi and One Ice is very, like assuming that the runner doesn't know that those that those specific cards are what they are, right? It's fairly mm. difficult for a runner to get get into and score that protocol, right? Yeah. Um, especially if the ice is something that deals a reasonable amount of net damage or deals, like which is something that Jinteki has in in spades, like. Yeah, like if they have um, uh, no icebreakers in play and you're pretty early in the game and they've got five cards in hand at the start of their turn, which they usually will, then being able to draw up to six and install the right icebreaker and have the money to get past your ice is not necessarily a very likely thing for the runner to be able to do within their four clicks. Exactly. Um, But I think the other thing to take into account with this is in the late game how much they can run your servers with this in mind. Like, I think this is easier to Mm. score than Future Perfect just because it protects itself while it's in play. But I'm not as sure as to how easy it is in the late game when you're not necessarily trying to score it, but just trying to stop the run, just trying to race the runner to seven points, Mm. whether this is as good as Future Perfect in that scenario. Yeah, sure. I think definitely it trades off some of the additional central's defense for the defense while it's installed. Uh, But that could be um, an interesting way to move forward since the Future Perfect really relied on Caprice. Yep. Um, When we no longer have Caprice, perhaps having a little more of that protection on the agenda itself is a more interesting way to uh, create more interesting dynamics within runs in that you, you're more reliant on your ice and your agenda itself rather than this all-powerful defensive upgrade. Yeah, that's true. I suppose compared to Future Perfect, I'm just worried that this card is like, if I just keep as many cards in my hand, that'll maximize the chance that I have to steal Obercutter when I yep. actually get to the server, whereas Future Perfect is more like, I have to make sure I can run as many times as possible like through this server to be able to steal which is i think a a stronger ability while it's in centrals yes definitely um and paired with caprice probably also a stronger ability while it's installed um but yeah uh, given that we we will no longer have caprice this is a a replacement of sorts oh sure like it's definitely very powerful and even to be considered in the same league as future perfect is extremely strong i think Mm. Right, the uh, next card in the pack is Miraju. It's a 2 to res, 0 strength, code gate deflector. It's 2 influence, and it's a Jinteki Ice, in case you didn't guess. If the runner breaks the printed subroutine on Miraju, he or she is now running on archives instead of passing Miraju and approaches the outermost ice, if any. D-res Miraju. And the subroutine is the court may draw one card, then shuffle one card from HQ into R&D. So we'll start with the punishment again, I think, which is that if they break the subroutine, they're now running on archives, and they approach the outermost piece of ice. So they're yeah. getting deflected. It's a Susano no Makoto. Yeah, so Susano is a 9-cost... Like, I know that they're not entirely 
comparable because yep. this is the um, runner gets the choice, not the corp. But still, that's a pretty powerful ability um, to be able to deflect the runner to archives. It's mm. some, sometimes better, sometimes worse. I think usually better than ending the run. Yep. So um, you get uh, yep. you get that for two credits, and you, you give you give them the choice for two credits. Yeah, that's not entirely true that you get it for two credits. I think it's better to look at the worse option, which is that the corp draws a card and then shuffles a card back, and then if they really don't want that to occur, then they can get deflected to archives instead. Sure, but I think what's really interesting about this is that the power of the actual subroutine itself, evaluating that is so different to evaluating any other ice subroutine just because it's so much more likely to occur than any other ice subroutine. Uh, um, I see what you mean, yeah. Yeah, so the, the corp drawing one card, then shuffling one card from HQ into R&D, if that was a regular ice subroutine on a zero-strength code gate, you'd be like, okay, all that takes is for the runner to spend one credit each time to negate it. Like, yes, it's probably okay, so they'll probably break it most of the time, but it's still only one credit. But yeah, it's like that... Yagura. Oh, it's like yeah. one of the... Yeah. Exactly, but but the fact that this basically says, I actually get this effect, even uh, sort of even if you can break it and you want to, if you also want to get into the server, I still get this effect. That's pretty cool. That's a completely different equation um, to most other ice. And so then we look at the effect itself and drawing a card and shuffling away a card from HQ into R&D makes this a really good card to have either on HQ or on R&D, I think. Yeah, um, although I'd say more on HQ just because I can see the fact that this replenishes R&D each time makes it kind of awkward to have when the runner is running R&D for benefit especially mm -hmm. um, because as far as I can tell you always have to shuffle um, so but especially on HQ it's you can hmm, I'm just thinking what sort of deck do you think it would be good in do you think it would be good in a deck that wants to find agendas early or a deck that wants to bury its agendas because I would say a deck that wants to bury its agendas but then having card flow is much more important if you want to find agendas true uh, but having card quality is always important i think whatever your deck is and the ability to be able to bury agendas is just at such a premium true. in the game particularly Definitely. once jackson's gone oh yeah yeah i mean we i think we might say this every episode now but rotation probably is the biggest change to the game that's ever happened since core i think um since the first core set or whatever so hmm. like it probably is reasonable to start saying yeah this having the ability to shuffle a card into R&D is going to be much stronger once you don't have Jackson and yeah in that sense it'll be good both index that want to find agendas because you don't necessarily have you know you might have cards that are only good once you have agendas that just helps complete as, as you said it helps complete the pieces of the puzzle right yeah so in some senses it's a very similar card to jackson <laughs> <laughs> i i'm not sure if we're it's the, this is the jackson replacement of 2017 well i mean it, it has both his abilities in some senses that's true and it does yeah it i think it is interesting just because it works so differently to any other ice we've seen mm. 
Um, and I think it's the ability, while it does seem marginal now, yeah, it will become much more important post-rotation. Cool, cool. Uh, the next card in the pack is Shipment from Tenon. It's a, a Jinteki Operation 3 Influence. Play only if the runner did not make a successful run during his or her last turn. Aha, uh-huh, there's the Tenon connection. Place two advancement tokens on one card. So I came up pretty strongly saying I really like this card and it's a half-price biotic labor um, in, in fast advanced decks. I still think that's true, although keeping the runner out of successful runs in decks that want that sort of effect is a lot harder these days. Um, but this certainly powers up any sort of uh, no remote tenon or any other identity strategy that you want to try. Yeah, I've I've been thinking about this card a fair bit. Uh, firstly, it's actually better than a half-priced labor because it puts the advancement counters on. So it's really a labor that costs zero if you want to use the clicks yes. to advance something. Yeah. So that's much stronger than it's it might seem just from looking at it. True. Um, but also I'm not actually sure that Tenon is the best identity to pair with this. It kind of feels like the problem with Tenon already was that if the runner just wanted to spend one of their clicks just running it like archives or whatever to turn off your ability because your whole game plan was predicated on trying to get that ability as many times as possible usually because it's sort of really polarizing like Mm. either you can keep them out in which case you get a really strong benefit or they can get in which they want to do and they get accesses as well as turning off your ability so I kind of feel like this would be better in a deck that isn't so focused on that. So the runner, maybe you pressure the runner more to decide whether they want to run a server and turn off this or to build up their board and be be, be able to contest. It's sort of more like better in something like, or more similar to something like replicating perfection in that sense where you force them to do something they, they didn't want to do, which is run a central if they want to do something that they need to do, which is to th- pressure your remote. Yeah. Um, whereas with regular tenon, you're sort of um, kind of railroading the runner into one track, which is, yeah, the corp really doesn't want the runner to run a central, but then the runner also does want to run a central because that's where the agendas are because they don't ever build a remote. Yeah, but getting you a lot more payoff a lot cheaper in faction um, for your fast advance plan is also good, I think, in Tenon. Oh, I'm not saying that it's not, like, good in Tenon. Just, I, I just think that it's a bit more nuanced than it might seem, where mm. you, I think, if you put this in Tenon and you doing have all these cards that are good in the same situation, then it becomes really beneficial for the runner to stop that situation happening, which True. is sort of not exactly what you want to do as the corp. Like, it can be good if the payoff is strong enough, but you'd rather the runner have two similar things, that, two things of similar power that they want to do, but have to decide which one they want to focus on. Uh-huh. Um, so, yeah, like, I think this is interesting, and I've actually have been building a Replicating Perfection I've been working on a replicating perfection deck with this that sort of is a bit half of one plan, half of the other, where you want to score Nisei, you can um, score it in a remote just with Caprice the regular way, but you can also fast advance it if it comes up, and I think that might... It, it needs a few tweaks, but I feel like that might be a good way to go. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I think this has a lot of synergy with the spikiness of Jinteki's Ice and the increasing power level of Jinteki Ice, so I, mm-hmm. I quite like it, and I'm looking forward to testing it out a bit more. Mm-hmm. The next card in the pack is the first NBN card. It's an agenda, a 4 for 2. It's an agenda initiative. It's called Escalate Vitriol. It has a, an ability, click, gain one credit for each tag the runner has. Use this ability only once each turn. Uh... I know that we're seeing a lot more reward with God of War and uh, Yagonyev Mercs for runners having giving themselves tags and trying to keep them. So having more ways to punish runners for having tags is good. But if you're not playing against one of those decks, the likelihood that this card is going to be better than another 4 for 2 agenda is just so low. So... I think this is going to be quite metagame dependent and also quite dependent on us getting more ways for NBN to realistically stick tags. Yeah, that I think this card is actually interesting though because it does deal with the Siphon decks effectively in that it has an ability that's only good in one specific situation, which is functionally when the runner is going to give themselves tags. Like... It, it could be okay when you're going to give them some number of tags, but realistically, that's not hugely likely. Yeah. That you can, yeah, stick enough tags to make this actually efficient. But when the runner's taking tags to siphon you, and then you can use this to recover from the siphon, that actually works out in terms of the resources this gives you versus what the resources that matter to the runner. Mm. But then again, it's sort of like hard to justify having that ability on an agenda that you first have to score and build a remote or fast advance it, etc., etc. But I do think it is interesting that actually does do the sort of thing that you want. Yeah. So I feel like if you know every runner deck was trying to siphon you, this card would actually be good, which is not something you know, which is you know useful to know in itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it punishes a particular type of runner deck quite efficiently. I'm just not sure whether that's an ability you want on your agenda. Don't know. Yeah, it's hard to justify, but I think it could be okay in that rare circumstance. Mm -hmm. The next card in the pack is Re-Education. It's an NBN 5 for 3 agenda initiative. When you score Re-Education, add any number of cards from HQ to the bottom of R&D and draw that many cards... The runner randomly adds the same number of cards from his or her grip to the bottom of the stack, if able. This is a pretty decent uh, agenda ability. Um, Yeah, it's sort of like slightly less powerful for you, Graft, but it's more disruptive to the runner. Yeah, I think the, the runner part of this card is easily overlooked, but is really quite strong. Um, so you get sort of a corporate shuffle. Um, except you're definitely putting the cards that you have on HQ on the bottom, which is in some usually better. If you don't want them in your hand, you'd probably rather them be on the bottom than at some random place in R&D. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're drawing a different number of cards that you get to control rather than having to draw five. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, it has to be the same as the number that you put, but you still have some control over it. Um, and then the runner... So, so you get that effect and that benefit, but then you're also punishing the runner by getting cards onto the bottom of their stack, which is usually a pretty bad place for them to have cards. It's true. 
but I feel like if we can't, like, yeah, it does have a secondary ability, but if I feel like the primary ability is still much, much worse than Graft, which we couldn't even, like, say was very good just because of the huge timing issue of getting cards at the end of your turn, but and yeah. I think this sort of suffers from the same issue. Yeah, it does. Um, and, of course, the usual caveats about the fact that GFI was printed. True. Um, this is also a decent when scored ability to trigger, I think. Um, oh, so with uh, 24-7? Yeah. Like, it's not amazing, but it's decent. It's just another one to have sticking around yep. to consider. Cool. Uh, Traffic Analyzer is the next card, and I don't think we need to spend long discussing this one. It's a upgrade. Zero to res, three to trash, NBN, one influence. Whenever you res a piece of ice protecting this server, trace two. If successful, the corp gains one credit. So, in my opinion, it's the perfect mix of it is underpowered, it triggers rarely, and even when the trace is successful, it doesn't do anything. Great. The next card in the pack is Meteor Mining. It's a 5 for 2 Wayland Agenda. When you score Meteor Mining, you may gain 7 credits. If the runner has at least 2 tags, you may do 7 meat damage instead. Uh, So it's good that you get the choice either way. Even if they have at least 2 tags, you can still gain the 7 credits if you want. Uh, It's bad because it's a 5 for 2. And it's also pretty bad because the likelihood of them having two tags at the end of your turn at the same time as you've opened a scoring window for a five for two just seems like a lot of things to fall into place with the caveat that if there are a lot of runner decks that are trying to tag themselves um maybe this is an okay thing to try and do but then you might as well just boom them so i don't know what are your thoughts wolfie i kind of like this card i mean i don't know how strong it is but the ability for an agenda to actually straight up kill the runner to be your win condition in itself aside from the regular agenda thing of scoring seven points is just, I think, really... Like, there's no no card that sort of does a similar thing to this. And when you... In a deck like this where you don't always have agendas that progress your game plan at every point like you know you might have global food initiative in your hand and you might have a scoring window but you don't realistically have a chance to get to seven points just because of how focused you are on the meat damage kill Mm. i think this sort of card gets around that situation like it is very narrow and it's not that powerful um just because of how many conditions you have it's really it's hard to set up but still i like the idea of for that kind of deck having agendas that actually work towards your game plan rather than just having things like gfi that yeah it is possible to get to seven points but this like this card can be worth seven points in itself right yeah in which i think is an ability worth considering like, it, it it can be the only agenda you score, and it can win the game for you. Yeah, and it obviously is easier for um, Jemison decks to score this 
from a really low base. And as you said, in a Jemison deck where scoring agendas is not necessarily hard, but you often have to give up other agendas to score it, so it's not necessarily getting you closer to scoring to getting to seven points. This card fits really well into that because it gives you a really powerful when scored ability. Um, but I think for me, the difficulty is always going to be having the two tags because I think the first mode is not really worth it most of the time. True. Yep. But the second mode is, and turning on the second mode is where I see most of the challenge. Yep, that's even in true. Those sorts of decks. It is yep. hard to give the runner to have the runner to stick two tags, but it is also is a thing that synergizes with your other game plan. Your you know your whole deck's game plan if you have cards like Boom in your deck, right? So I feel like it's just a sort of way to make your agendas do more for you in decks where they otherwise wouldn't do as much, apart from economically. Mm-hmm. Cool. The next card in the pack is Standoff. It's another Wayland Agenda, a 2 for 0, something that we've been calling for for a very long time here on the Winning Agenda, so we're happy to see that. When you score Standoff, each player, starting with the runner, trashes one installed card until one player declines to trash a card. If the runner declines, draw one card and gain 5 credits. Now, permit me for a moment to get up on my soapbox, because I'm really upset about this. Uh, the anchor ruling uh, from our grand designer, Michael Boggs, that players can trash their opponent's cards during a, a standoff really annoys and upsets me um, because I feel like it's directly counter to the intention of this card. Uh, that's you know when you score it, each player starting with the runner trashes one installed card. To me, that reads as trashes one of their own installed cards. Yeah, and you're the trying idea to of a standoff is sacrifice that... your own board state, right? And then yeah. until um, one person backs down. Exactly. Um, otherwise, it's not really a standoff. <laughs> it's no. uh, you're just destroying each other's position. Um, so it's sort of an all-out war, really. Yeah. Anyway, um, yeah. So that that annoys me, and not only does it annoy me from a flavor and uh, this is clearly not the intention of the card perspective, it also basically torpedoes the playability of this card completely. Um, because why the corporation would ever play a card in their deck that requires their resources to be invested gives them no benefit because it's worth no points and then allows the runner to trash their best installed card is, like, mind-boggling. Yeah, I think that's, um, that's about all that needs to be said about standoff. Um, although, yep. <laughs> yeah, uh, and just to, I guess, um, point out how interesting it could be if this card functioned as intended, and how I was hoping that it would work and expecting that it would work since it was spoiled, um... It could be an excellent way to play things like Archer, Tythonium, which is in the next pack. Um, play other... In Jemison, have more ways to fuel your fast advance plan uh, and also get some small benefit along the way. So it's, a, I think, a really crucial piece in the Wayland card pool. Um, if you want to have a small agenda that's not hostile takeover, it's something we've been waiting for for a long time. So I can't wait until this FAQ decision is hopefully reversed. Uh, yep. Success is the next card in the pack. It's a, uh, is it the third of the Jemison identity cards? Uh, it is the cycle. Audacity, success, success. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so it's an, a triple operation, which makes sense since it's the third one, and the first one was a single, the second one was a double. Uh, as an additional cost to play this operation, you forfeit an agenda and spend two clicks. So it's a triple that requires you to forfeit an agenda to play. Very much worth noting. 
advance a card x times, x equals the advancement requirement of the agenda just forfeited. And it's also worth noting that, that says advancement requirement, not points, which is unusual for this sort of card. So it's very, very powerful in that with something like a medial mining, rather than getting two advancements from the points, you're actually getting five. Um, so if you forfeit a medial mining and your Jemison, you get five from the success, you get two from your Jemison plus one, so you get eight advancement counters. Yep, which is almost enough to score our favorite card. <gasps> Government takeover. Well, that, I mean, that is fairly apt, right? Because the card this is most similar to is Red Planet Couriers, which does a very similar thing of let, lets you score a very big agenda after having advanced your board state or mm-hmm. having invested resources one way or the other, one way or another into your board. Yeah. The thing I like a little more about success than Red Planet Couriers, firstly, is it costs zero. Uh, secondly, that Red Planet Couriers sort of operates outside of the, the general Jemison game plan, which is to chain your agendas into bigger agendas. Um, with success, you can actually use the Hostile Takeover into Atlas, into 5 for 3, into Vanity Project, into Government Takeover as a chain, and it sort of works the whole way through, and success allows you to turn that Vanity Project into the government takeover, whereas um, uh, Sacrifice allows you to do all the other parts of that chain, and Audacity can help out as well. Uh, So yeah, I like success in that sort of core Jemison game plan of just fast advancing and chaining your agendas up, that it works a little better with that than uh, Red Planet Couriers does. That's true, but I kind of feel like Red Planet Couriers also has a benefit in that it sort of sidesteps that, that you can oh, do sure. something that is yeah okay cool so the, yeah. yeah they're different cards right yeah not that not that one's better than the other I just sort of like this in the deck because it's hard to play the the vanity project um, and the red planet couriers deck if that makes sense yep so um, this ties it together a bit more while being yeah it's a bit more focused on the game plan which is you know some situations a bit worse some situations a bit better but yeah, yeah. at least a bit more cohesive. Yes, exactly. So whereas with the government takeover biotic red planet couriers plan, I think you just sort of want to go score one hostile, maybe chain it into a two-pointer just to keep the agendas out of your deck and then wait until you find the government takeover. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I mean, you're achieving the same objective, you're just doing it in a bit of a different way. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and I mean, the the advantage to this is that it doesn't require you to be advancing your ice, so it doesn't require you to play Dedication Ceremony or be getting advancement tokens other ways. Um, so it's a little more flexible in that way, which is kind of cool, but I, I don't mind doing that uh, with the Red Planet Cruise plan either because it advances your board in the meantime. So there's pros and cons either way. Mm-hmm. Uh, cool. Uh, the next card in the pack is Wampoa Reclamation. It's a 3 to res, 3 to trash asset corporation. You has an ability, trash one card from HQ at instant speed, add one card from archives to the bottom of R&D. Use this ability only once per turn, and it's 2 influence, neutral card. That's the killer for me, Wilfie. Uh, 2 influence is a lot for every cop to have to pay for, for a card. Um, and it means you're probably not going to be able to include more than one, but certainly not more than two copies of this card. And I don't know that it's powerful enough. Yeah, the way I see it is, of course, it's a replacement for Jackson, but 
in terms of the res to trash to ability like sort of package yes it is useful when you're flooded to have this ability and it's not just useful when you're flooded but I kind of feel like unless you're bottoming an agenda it's not really worth it to trash a card to bottom something just because it loses you resources that you have for resources that might be useful in the future so I really only see it being useful in a government takeover type thing where it like the difference between having government takeover in your hand and having government takeover on the bottom of your deck is really significant yeah so but like even then spending two influence to do a card that to, to play a card that really only does that like it doesn't really help you actually score your government takeover makes me a bit skeptical mm. the good thing about it i guess is that you're guaranteed to get rid of government takeover because you can install res this and put the takeover on the bottom straight away and then even if they trash this you've got the benefit from it mm-hmm. but it's a lot of investment three credits and the two influence is a pretty big price to pay for that ability yeah um although you know, you can get it with tech startup, so that I think can give you some. That can give this card some potential to be played because you can draw, use this card on your turn, and then use this card on their turn. So you get two uses out of it, even if they go and trash it immediately. Yeah. So that's where I see it most likely fitting in. Yeah. Obviously, the power of it increases in a not only with tech startup but with other asset spam protection cards as well. And pay off cards. True, but then it's sort of like where are you going to fit all of these things in your deck, right? Sure. Like, I mean, in those sorts of decks, it, the influence can probably better be spent on something else, but maybe not. Maybe instead of playing three Jacksons, you play two one power reclamations and you down one influence in your movie. Yeah, deck. Or, I don't know. Or, yeah, yeah or, or who knows? You know, when Jackson rotates, we might have to. Um, we might have to do some do some things. Cool. And the last the last card in the very sizable and chunky corp side of this pack is Mass Commercialization. And it's a good one to end on. It's got very nice colorful art and it's quite powerful. So it's a zero to play, uh, operation transaction, neutral, no influence. It says gain two credits for each card with at least one advancement token on it. So uh, obviously very good in Tenon. Uh, doesn't have to be an installed card, so it can be the runner's identity. Uh, can it? Can Tenon still put advancement counters in your runner's identity? <laughs> I'm not know. sure we'll about have, that. We'll have to check the FAQ. Um, but hyperbole aside, I think the fact that this gains you two for each card with an advancement token on it makes it really good. The downside of this compared to something like um, IPO or hedge fund is that early on in the game in the first couple of turns, it doesn't get you up to the threshold where you can res your first few pieces of ice if they're sort of mid-range costed ice. Uh, but in the middle of the game, once you're, say, on turn four or five, you've resed a couple of pieces of ice and you're looking to recover and be able to res the next wave of ice, um, this is the perfect card to have because particularly in a Wayland deck, uh, perhaps the Red Planet Courier's Biotic Labor Government Takeover deck, uh, you could advance three or four pieces of ice and just gain eight for zero, uh, which being able to go up from zero to the point where you can probably rest two pieces of ice is really, really good for one operation. Yeah, I agree. Um, the fact that it costs zero, as well as 
being able to fairly realistically gain you between six and ten credits mm. like even when you don't put that much into it you just have to spend a little bit of time advancing i sure but it's not like you need to have all of your ice be advanceable in order to achieve that goal is yeah. pretty strong i think yeah the fact that it pays off well at four i think like gaining eight for zero is really good makes it pretty realistic yeah, and make, I think makes up for the fact quite nicely that it doesn't do anything in the early game. Like, you're happy to play a card that isn't so great early if you can have such a strong payoff without too much work in the mid to late game. Yeah. Awesome. And so that brings us to the end of the Blood and Water pack review. We hope you've enjoyed the corpse side of this pack as much as we have. I personally think there are a lot of really, really sweet cards in here that will... See play in a range of different strategies for a long time to come. Uh, any thoughts, Wolfie, uh, before we sign off? Yeah, I think so too. There were a lot of court cards, but lots of things to talk about as well. Awesome. If you want to get in touch with us before next week, you can head along to the Winning Agenda on Facebook. You can tweet us at Winning Agenda. You can email us at thewinningagenda at gmail.com. And if you want to chuck a few dollars our way on Patreon, you can head along to www.patreon.com slash thewinningagenda. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we'll see you next week. Thanks very much. Bye.